0: The night before his bar mitzvah, Nate was having trouble falling asleep.
1: I was sweating, like, I was nervous. I was nervous, I thought I wasn't gonna sleep at all. Somehow I slept till 7.30, which was pretty good. I woke up, I got dressed, made sure my hair was good for the day. Um, I put on a poncho, I think, put on my shoes. My, Me, my dad, Um, my three younger brothers headed out to
0: Shul. Shul is synagogue. It was Saturday, October 27th. I have not seen photos from this day, but I assure you, Nate's hair looked great. I can say that confidently because when we met him, when Hans and I showed up at Nate's parents' house, his hair looked really good. Nate is cool. I don't know how to say it without sounding like a person who definitely wasn't cool in middle school, Nate's cool. He has cool hair. Even his braces look cool. Hans and I definitely wanted him to think we were cool, which is never a good look (laughs) for for grown-ups. Nate's cool, okay? So, cool Nate woke up on October 27th, ready for his bar mitzvah. Saturday is Shabbat the day of rest, and it was raining really, really hard that morning. And it had been raining since the night before.
2: For 30 hours, the entire weekend, well, we're way, walking we're everywhere.
1: It poured. I for, for one thing, no rain. <laughs>
0: oh, gotta pray harder. That's Shelly, Nate's mom. She is also really cool. And I'm Nora McNerney. and. Coolness TBD, but this is terrible, thanks for asking. The Itzkowitz family walked through the rain to shul because they're Orthodox Jews, which means that they're not able to do any work on the Sabbath, from sundown Friday to sundown on Saturday. And work includes using technology. Technology like phones, light switches, or cars. So every week in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood of Pittsburgh, Hundreds of people, many in all black outfits, walk the streets to synagogue. It's a very common, very familiar sight, even in terrible weather. Even in terrible weather, when you have a big life moment that day and you want your hair to look cool. Like Shelley said, maybe he should have prayed harder. A bar mitzvah is a big deal for Jewish kids Nate's age. It happens when a boy turns 13. He becomes officially responsible for the adult privileges and responsibilities of religious life. It's like saying, yes, I'm ready for it. Bring it on. And it happens just by turning 13. But it's celebrated ceremonially in the synagogue with a reading, a discussion or leading part of the services. For Nate, it meant all three. He did all three. He did a reading, he led some of the services, he spoke. He spent two years preparing for this, two years. So this day is about the community recognizing and celebrating Nate as a full adult member of their faith. Nate goes to religious school and religion is a cornerstone of his family's life and of his life, so this day, is really, really important to all of them. So, across town, Matthew and Adam are waking up to a very busy morning of their own with their two little girls. People had flown in from around the country for a different ceremony, a different life event, at a different synagogue from Nate and his family. Matthew and Adam attend Rodef Shalom. Matthew didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. He was a military kid, but it's his adopted hometown and he loves Pittsburgh.
3: This is how neighborly Pittsburgh is. Our next door neighbor knew that this was happening and then offered her house to our friends and family that were coming in. She said, I know this is big, and I know um, you need room. I know, like, and there was a lot going on in town that day. I think there was, like, I want to say there was a football game, and there was maybe a hockey game, and, like, it was just crazy. And so hotels were crazy expensive, um, you know, and she said, look, have my house. Fit as many people as you want in there, too. So, like, she said
4: she'll leave her house. Like, she was really yes. to go to her sister's house. She stay at her sister's house and basically turn her house over to our friends and family. Mm-hmm.
0: That second voice, that was Adam, and doesn't this situation remind you of something, a specific moment in film history?
3: It's like Home Alone, and you know, when they're all like trying to get to the airport.
0: Exactly. Yes, that is it. Their little row house is bustling with people. Uncles, aunts, friends, cousins. The row house next door that shares a wall and a porch? That is bustling with people.
3: So it was crazy. It was just like people everywhere um, and like in cars all over the street. And so that morning it was like constant breakfast. <laughs> there was like, bagels being made, scrambled eggs being made, kids were eating. You know, trying to get them changed, trying to get a nap in for our, our youngest. <laughs> because we're like, okay, not only do we have to get out the door on time, but the service itself lasts for like an hour and change. And you know, it would be great if she's awake for it and not screaming. <laughs>
0: So service that morning for Matthew and Adam and all their loved ones and acquaintances included a baby naming ceremony for their youngest daughter. This is Rabbi Henry, who was going to perform the baby naming ceremony. The baby did have a name already, but she didn't have an official
5: Hebrew name. Which is a way that we show our connection to the covenant, because it goes back to Abraham and Sarah when they their names were changed. So it was Avram who became Avraham and Sarai who became Sarah. And both of those, the additions have God's name in there. So we connect people back in the covenant through our Hebrew names.
3: So a naming ceremony in Judaism is um, specifically for girls. There's uh, a service and as part of the service, they do an official blessing, give her the name. And then at like at that moment, you know, they're, part of the congregation, like they are part of the community at that point.
0: Sometimes when I'm in the middle of a really big life thing, or honestly just as often in the middle of just a regular life thing, I pause and I think about all the other people who are living at this exact same moment, who are experiencing their day, this minute, this second, right now, now, this one, in their own way. And that's what today's episode is about. It's about two different experiences of the same day. Two children of two different ages with two different families in two different congregations, one Reform and one Orthodox at two different synagogues each joining their own different community in different ways at different phases, but at the same time in the same community. On a regular week, Nate's synagogue gets maybe 100, 125 people for Saturday services. This week... Because of Nate's bar mitzvah, there were more than 400 people there. Family had come in from out of town, friends had come to Nate's family synagogue instead of their own, all to celebrate Nate becoming a full adult member of the faith. Around 9.30 or 9.45, Nate got started with his Torah readings.
1: The first verse, I was like a little bit nervous, but then once I got past there, I was fine. I flew through like the first three aliyahs.
0: There are seven aliyah in a Sabbath Torah reading. And those readings are the same at every synagogue that day. An aliyah is a pause in between sections of the Torah. Nate's up there with a rabbi in front of his congregation and friends and family from out of town. He's living the moment that he's been preparing for, for two years. And his mom, Shelly, is so proud.
2: You're not supposed to memorize it. It's like really repetitive learning over and over again to get it. So he had the book in between. In between those pauses, at the pauses, he would go back to the book and review it, review the next thing. So he wasn't really listening to the rabbi as he was talking. It was like, okay, like, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Right? Am I right?
0: Yeah. So there's Nate up in front of the congregation on the Bima, facing away from everyone, from his parents, concentrating and reading. As he'd been reading, everyone had started to notice a lot of sirens outside, emergency vehicle sirens. The synagogue is right near a freeway and it's in the city, so it's not unheard of that there would be sirens. Okay, we
2: live in a city, no big deal. And then they just multiplied by the dozen.
0: So that, that many sirens, that's unusual. But Nate finished his fourth aliyah and went back to review his notes. And then the rabbi stood up to address the congregation.
2: We just got news, word that there was um, an attack at the, the Tree of Life synagogue. We know there were casualties. We don't know how many don't have any more information and then he continued and he said don't bother whispering we don't know anything else i will keep you posted as we go i truly thought he was getting up to say stop talking there's a bar mitzvah boy up here reading like doing his thing maybe cut down the chit chat let's stay quiet but
0: no because what did attack mean what did casualty mean what was actually happening outside those doors with all those sirens
2: So we had no idea what to expect. We didn't know what type of person it was. We didn't know, like, is it American? Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is is there more than one? Is there three places could be attacked at the same time by the same group?
0: No one knew, and there wasn't anything to be done. No one could use phones to go check on things. So the rabbi was getting his information from the janitor who is not Jewish and therefore doesn't have the same restrictions, can use his cell phone. But at that point, there wasn't any more information to be had. There wasn't anything else the janitor could tell them. And over at Rodef Shalom Synagogue, they also didn't know anything. Just the same basics. An active shooter. Tree of life. So services went on there wasn't any information to do anything else other than for rabbi henry and the cantorial soloist molly and
5: the accompanist don to just stick to the plan so um we started services and it was really hard to focus just it felt like i was thinking thoughts and i was reading words and i kept wondering whether I was actually reading the words that were on the page because I wasn't thinking about them. And every so often I'd be like, am I actually reading those words? Because I'm not focused on those words.
4: We were in literally the first row pew. And then you have like a little bit of space, maybe four or five feet, and then you have the, the, the bima or the stage area.
5: Don kept playing, Molly kept singing, and I kept reading. Kept saying it, we, words. Yeah, we kept saying words.
3: And then my brother like... We were sitting. I was sitting in the aisle, and he came up, and he was like, there's been a shooting in another synagogue. And it was like, oh, fuck. Um, fuck. <laughs> and then, like, from that point, it became very apparent that, like, something was really wrong.
5: Because people were beginning to notice. There would be people were looking at their phones, and people were talking to each other, and they were walking in and out, and they looked distracted. Meanwhile, a service is trying to happen, right?
3: And there were people like in the behind us in the service that um, phones started going off, which is kind of unusual because really you're not really supposed to be using phones. I mean, like we're this is a very, very, very reformed congregation, um, but there are still like things you don't do.
5: Rabbi Bisno, there's the other rabbi here, Aaron Bisno. So Aaron kept going out um, to find out what was going on. About 10 minutes in the service, he said, I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. And that's
4: when he said there's, there was an active shooter situation at a nearby synagogue and that now our synagogue here was on lockdown. Right.
0: few miles away, Nate, who had no idea what was going on or what those sirens meant, he came back up to the bima and kept reading. After the fifth aliyah, the rabbi came back up.
2: We're under lockdown. Do not um, exit any doors but the front doors.
0: So when you hear that, what do you think?
1: Um... I didn't even know. I was, like, kind of nervous that I was going to forget the things that, like, I was supposed to say, so I was just, like, saying over the stuff in my head. Like, I didn't even realize.
0: That's a 13-year-old on what is so far the biggest day of his life. But the grown-ups do realize. Nate's dad, Rob, is sitting close up to the Bima, where Nate is and where the rabbi is. He's about 20 feet from his son.
6: I was so focused on Nate that I sort of heard what the rabbi said and I'm like, wait, is the active shooter here or is it someone? Like, I was like, wait, what? And he made the announcement they have youth group rooms. They're all on lockdown and all the group leaders have been trained what to do. You can't go get your kids. They're in the lockdown. You can't go get your kids. Our middle two children were with us listening to Nate, but our youngest one was in the groups. And so the men and women in this service sit separately There's like a divider. And I looked at my wife over the divider and there's a lot of people because there's a bar mitzvah. We had a lot of family and friends come in saying, check on Kiwi. And she said, no, he's okay. He's in the group rooms. Everything's okay. I said, okay.
0: Okay, but not really. Nate kept reading, still pretty oblivious. And a large group of women went to go check on the kids. After the next Aliyah the next update came from the rabbi. Things seemed to be escalating.
2: I can't believe I have to say this, move away from the windows.
0: So congregants shifted and moved.
2: People were worried, like, some some couples split up. Like, they normally pray at a different synagogue, but for the bar mitzvah, they came. So, like, the wife came and the husband didn't, and they didn't know, are you okay?
0: And the, the spouses didn't know about each other. Nate. He came up to keep reading, and when he came to the next aliyah, the rabbi stood up again.
2: If for some reason we have to evacuate,
0: use all the doors. Um, Don't worry about it. After the final reading, the rabbi makes one last announcement.
2: We're trying to get a police presence here.
3: started walking out people started walking in but the service didn't ever stop i mean it it, like thinking back on it that was what was most astounding like all of this was happening and people were having very um like visceral emotional reactions the service never stopped i mean i i think i got really um mama bear about the entire thing, like I became very fearful and also very like, um, I need to protect my kids because it wasn't really clear what lockdown meant or if we were under a direct threat or if the situation in the other synagogue was limited, or if it was going to be part of some kind of like mass attack, like coordinated, every service is gonna be hit. And that's what was running through my head that like we're sitting in the front row of the synagogue and somebody could just come in. And so I remember like actually picking up my eldest daughter and I just said, you need to sit down. And I remember like yelling at you to move over. So we were behind that would screen. And um, you were compliant. <laughs> <laughs> our eldest was, like, nuts to that, man. Um, and so it, it like, the only way that I could get her to not run around was to, like, sit on my lap.
5: He had his daughter on his lap, and he was trying to... I could tell that he was, like, trying to curve his body to protect her.
3: And so, you know, I asked her to sit on my lap, and then I just kind of, like, um turned. So, like, my body was between her and the door.
5: Because if he could spread his wings and just sort of protect her, he was sort of hunched over and he looked like he was thinking about not what we were saying, right?
4: And yet the the service continued to go go on. (laughs) And at that point, I mean, we didn't know any information. We didn't know about the loss of life. We didn't know names or faces we didn't know the extent of the of the devastation really for my me i wanted to block it out i wanted to be like this is my daughter's day i don't want anything to interrupt it um and i want this to continue and try to make you know the best of it because we don't know anything it wasn't that i was not being productive but i was that was not the primary reaction i had i want to preserve this as my daughter's baby name
0: We'll be right back. And we're back. Back at his synagogue, Nate had made it through all of his readings. He was done, and he had done
6: so well. He was loud, he was confident, he was assertive, he kept everyone sort of calm. It it's funny, somebody made a joke, like shouldn't we be praying, right? Shouldn't we be praying? At a time of crisis don't you pray? And then the rabbi's like, what do you think we're doing (laughs) right now?
2: (laughs) And he was trained to do, after the reading.
1: It was like um, a story. Like from the prophets,
2: the book of the prophets. prophets.
1: That I read after. It was like it was actually one of the longer ones, and they were going on the sirens all throughout that, like throughout the whole thing. That was about fifteen minutes. And then once I got up to like the end of the the service, the sirens stopped. Like they started to like slow down and stop. And then after the service, um, I walked downstairs and. I must have said thank you like 750 times. Like, you were great. Thank you. Um, I just want to say you were great. Thank you.
0: <sighs> Listeners should know that at this point, Nate's mom was looking at him like, oh, my God. <laughs> but I was looking at him like, yeah, I bet you did get 700 compliments. <laughs> he's Nate's really cool. He has so much confidence. Like, I want him to teach a seminar to me and Hans on how to be confident and cool. (sighs) At the Rodef Shalom Synagogue, Rabbi Henry could finally address the congregation and all of the worry that
5: had been rolling through the crowd. I told everyone that the shooter had been apprehended, and so right now... We're going to see if we could focus on our gratitude for all the things that we do have in our own lives that we still have. Things we still have, like babies and bringing
0: babies into the congregation. It was time for the naming ceremony. Matthew and Adam stood up and brought their little girl up to the Bima for her naming.
3: She's not nearly as, like bubbly happy. So the giggling was kind of unexpected. Um and also the, the acoustics in that room are um, uh, they're amazing in that like a tiny like her tiny giggle from on the Bima was magnified in such a way that like it echoed throughout the entire sanctuary. Um and it brought a lot of people kind of back to what was going on. And it brought I think us back as well. And people started laughing because of her routine of her shtick. Right. Um, but also because she was laughing and like, and our eldest kept running around (laughs) cause yeah. Um, and she's like, Oh, I've already done a naming. I don't need that. I don't need to be part of this. I'm good. I'm going to go back to that cornucopia and hang out, you know? And so it was just like, they were having a great time.
0: Yeah. Of course she's having a great time because kids are awesome like that one they're oblivious which is wonderful and two maybe they're not even that oblivious and they just sort of know when things are getting too heavy and they need to just lighten things up
3: and then um and service was over and then it was even weirder um it was like a Twilight Zone episode. Like everybody um, after the service like, left the sanctuary and kind um, of came out into, into the foyer of the building and everyone just went everywhere, like literally in the building. Um, you know, there were people like running in hallways and into bathrooms and calling people and texting and, and everyone was just everywhere.
0: Service was over, but it still wasn't clear what was happening or what had happened, so the lockdown was still in effect. But luckily, a naming ceremony is followed by a lunch. A lunch that Matthew and Adam had gone all out in planning.
3: I, I distinctly remember um shifting from like anger, fear, and like protective to, like, oh, my God, let's get this show, like, together, people. <laughs> like, like, come on. And I remember grabbing a couple of people, and I'm like, I'm like, come, kitchen, now. We're putting out the booze. Like, this is a terrible situation. We are stuck in this place. We cannot leave. All we have, like, all we have to survive on <laughs> is, like, four cases of wine and, like, seven pallets of Italian food. Um, how are we going to make it? How are we going to make it? <laughs> like... Let's do this. <laughs> so we did, like, opening all these bottles of wine and taking it out and then just walking around and, like, pouring cups for people. I mean, like, drink this now. <laughs> like, drink it now. And then, um, you know, I remember, like, having a discussion with the, the like, kitchen manager, and I was like, turn that oven up. Get all, get all those suckers in there right now. <laughs> like, ziti, bake ziti and lasagna need to be out in 20 minutes. We could do it. You know, I'll light them on some burners, like, I'll set it up outside, you just make sure it's ultra hot, we're good. Like, we're good. And uh, and then, like, it all kind of went back to normal at that point. I mean, as, as it could.
0: Normal meant wine and Italian food and continuing to celebrate their baby's special day. There was one last ritual that Matthew and Adam wanted to include. It's called the blessing of the senses, and as you might expect, Matthew and Adam had put a lot of care, and attention, and personality into this part of the ceremony.
3: Like there's a you know the sense of smell, and then I, I had like a, a little. Um, a spice jar that looks like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and I filled it up with oregano because uh, my we are we are Italian. We have very Italian names, so Italian. And then there was a sense of sight, um, and so we brought in um, it's a votive candle with Dolly Parton with a halo. Um, you it's know, it's religious. It's yeah, religious. It is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and then there's a part where like she washes her hands too, and then there's there's hearing, and then for the song portion of it, we had to like specifically pick a song that had some kind of connection back to our daughter and so uh, it was Rosemary Clooney's Mambo Italiano Why not? <laughs>
1: hey, mambo Mambo Italiano hey, Mambo
0: because of the lockdown all of the people who hadn't gone to the service but were going to come for the lunch they couldn't get into the building
5: that's nice
3: like we had set out all this food it was like a big to-do and then out in the foyer i think like some of the other people from the were setting out like snacks you know, and there were a lot of other people from the congregation who were sitting out there. And they couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't leave. Right. right. And so and we were like, wait, what? This is dumb. So, I, like, I remember coming out and I'm like, guys, we have all of this food. <laughs> we have all this eat. wine. We have all, all of this food. wine. This is Please come terrible. in and eat. <laughs> like, this is terrible. The only way this is going to get better is if we eat and we drink and and they were like are you sure and i'm like yeah i'm pretty certain that this this needs to happen so yes um and they did
5: you know we we tried to be as i tried to be as joyful and positive as i could and it's just the room felt different it just it was sad but the room felt different
3: and then by the time it was all over um, lockdown had been lifted and people could leave so it like I don't say it worked out perfectly <laughs> it was yeah, like,
0: but, it, but it did get to be your daughter's day
3: it did get to be her day despite everything else and like and we look back at like all the pictures that were taken on it and she is just joyous and so is our eldest and <laughs> like at one point our eldest daughter she she went around to every centerpiece and took every balloon and so, like, at the end of it, she's just, she's, she's like that old man and Up, right? And there's like a thousand balloons. So she's holding this, like, technicolor rainbow of balloons, and she's wearing this, this um, striped black and white dress. And so there's this contrast of her, you know, monochromatic in Rainbow Town. And it's like, oh, my God, those pictures are amazing. Like, she knew she had to, she she knew what she was she doing.
0: knows how to put it together <laughs> right how to, how to set a scene
3: like way way better than, <laughs> than any of us could um and, and it's just like wow wow how did that happen in all of this i still don't know
1: yeah i, I don't
5: We'll be
0: right back. We're back. The shooting was over, and then so was the lockdown. For Nate and Shelly and Rob and their family, they were free to leave the synagogue and get on with all the other festivities they'd scheduled for Nate's bar mitzvah. By this point, the news of the shooting was headline news everywhere. But it's still the Sabbath, and Nate's family are still Orthodox.
2: It's not like we left and we could go home and watch CNN, or we could turn on our cell phones. Nothing. So, if there's any, you should just know. If there's any risk of life, we you violate the Sabbath. It doesn't matter. You do anything to save your life. So, if you know, if we felt threatened, like we needed to call nine one one, we pick up the phone. We call. We don't hesitate. Just like it would never be for the risk of a of a life right. so that he we has have the heart attack in
0: front of you. You call nine one one. Right. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. The family left the synagogue. They started to walk home. And the rain had finally, briefly stopped. The streets were empty. It was quiet. Eerie.
2: Businesses were closed. They they were forced to close. Police came and told them, like, you have to... Shut down your doors or something. I don't know. They all had signs on their doors saying "due to the tragedy" or "due to the events" because at that point we didn't know what kind of a tragedy it was. Due to the events of today, we've closed our stores. Our hearts are with everybody. And, you know,
6: it's at,
1: like three p.m. Yeah, yeah. too. Right.
6: So I did peek inside where we get our barber shop, where we go. I did happen to peek inside and I saw the TV, and it said. Eight confirmed dead, others wounded. So I knew something happened. But to be honest, with everything that we had going on that day, part of me selfishly didn't really want to know everything. And thank God, without our phones, without the internet, without all the media information, we, didn't, we weren't drawn into it. And we weren't stuck in front of the TV all day and our phones all day that we would have if it was a different day of the week.
0: sundown that day in Pittsburgh was at 7:13 p.m. But for their friends and family members in New York the sun had set 20 minutes earlier so as the clock ticked nearer Nate and his family gathered at the house before heading off to the party they had planned they just had to listen to their phones ringing off the hook unable to answer them until the Sabbath was over.
2: I had family calling because most of my family was here, but those who weren't were calling and saying, are you alive? Like what's happened? What What's going on? Where are you? Why aren't you answering your phone? And we're like, it's not over yet. We can't pick up the phone. So, I mean, they heard synagogue in Pittsburgh and they know we're all here. They don't know. How do they know? So, but here we were, we were like, well, we're all here. We're all alive. We're all okay. Okay, you know. I mean, we didn't know what to make of it. Like, we couldn't process everything.
0: And then, sundown. Everyone was able to use their phones, and they checked what news they could, and they learned it wasn't just eight dead. It was 11. But there wasn't much information yet. There's this cool thing called shock, where basically your brain just packs up all your anxiety and feelings and is like, I'll hold on to this and put everything on autopilot and you just go along for the ride, I'll give it to you later. So that's what they did because you know what? It was time for Nate's bar mitzvah party. And Nate had a rager planned, okay? Friends, family, they were going to an indoor park. They were probably gonna do laser tag, drink a bunch of pop. Really wish I could've gone. (laughs) And they had to get moving. Nate's party was at 8:30, and they had to drive in the direction of Tree of Life to get there, where already news trucks were lining the streets, roads were blocked. So they packed everything up, including the yarmulkes they'd had special made for the event. They had Nate's name and the date printed just under the logo of the Pittsburgh Steelers.
2: All of our guests um, were wearing them, and like a lot of them were like, we were nervous. Like we're in public, maybe we should take them off. Like, maybe there are a lot more people who hate Jews here. We like, it, To us, again, we didn't know that much still about the event. Is this, was this still one person? Was he a person who's part of a group? Are we going to, we're in Pittsburgh, right? Like, it happened in Pittsburgh. We're in Pittsburgh. Maybe all the boys should take off their kippas, And then we were like, no, I, I think we're okay. I, I don't know. And my family who was driving back, they all said, put baseball caps on because now This is like a big deal and we don't want to be on the highways and stopping at rest stops and having people, you know, realize we're Jewish and like we were afraid.
0: Suddenly, now that the Sabbath had lifted and they were able to get the barest amount of information, they knew enough to be afraid. It had been a big day for both families. Everyone had their celebrations, thanked their loved ones, got everyone back home
3: and crashed. I think like immediately afterwards, like when we got home, oh, I I don't I don't think I've ever been so happy <laughs> to like be back in my house. Um and then it was just like emotionally over. Like, you know, you put the kids to bed, and then it was like, fuck. <laughs> like, what was that? What the shit? We, we just got talking. into bed and on
2: Facebook, and like seeing, we were like, oh my gosh, this is really big. Um, and I think we both looked at each other and we said, thank God this wasn't our synagogue. Because we were quadruple the normal amount. They, Their synagogue, they had 12 people at their main service at 945. At 945, we had over 400. Like, the, the thought of what could have happened, and like, did this even really happen? It's his right. parents' backyard. His parents live on Solway, which is,
6: like, he's shot balls into their I windows. I balls off of that synagogue, off the stained glass window.
0: They do. <laughs> right, they do. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what? This was an extraordinary day, filled with extraordinary things, some planned, some not. It was also just an ordinary day, filled with ordinary things, obligations, errands, appointments, hours to fill, not much information, lives to lead. It was horrible, mundane. It was terrifying familiar. It was confusing. And every day. When you're on the outer circles of grief, your emotional receptors sometimes don't match your to-do list. You feel the world shaking, but the ground is just as solid as ever. Or is it?
2: I mean, you're talking to grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. Like... Okay. <laughs> you know, like things happen. It's what you do with it. You know, I think that, that situations like these bring us closer to God. When it comes down to it, their their prayer books might have said something different than ours did, or might have been in English, or might have added a few words, but they died holding the prayer books that we hold every single Saturday, that we hold every day three times a day. Like they died doing what we do. So I don't care. Like It doesn't matter to me that they were Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionists. I don't care. They were Jews and they died because they were Jews. So ultimately, it really doesn't matter. And I feel like we can say, you know, they couldn't do it, so we're going to do it for them. My brother's synagogue in New Jersey said that there's a tradition that when they know that there's a synagogue that couldn't chant the whole portion of the Torah, that somebody should do it for them. So the following week, they read the last portion of that week. Like, just to say they couldn't, they didn't get to it. So we're picking up where they left off, you know? And a lot of people with Hanukkah, having just happened, a lot of people said, like, look at the light, right? One of the nights he said, like, "Like just stand back and look at all of these menorahs lit. And he said, like, look at this. Like, we're still here. We're still doing it. We're still lighting. We're still doing what, they've been, what we've been doing for 2,000 years more. And this year, we get to be proud that we get to do it.
4: I mean, from my perspective, um, I feel much more vulnerable in public settings uh, to potential homophobic kind of responses and, and risks related to that. I don't feel vulnerable being Jewish. Not in this day and age. I hadn't I would never felt that way. I never felt um, at risk for anti-Semitism. So it was for me, I was like, wait, I thought it was just a white guy.
0: For Adam and Matthew, the shocking part of the shooting was that it represented hatred for their Jewishness. But it soon became clear that the same hatred was tied to a more familiar kind of hate, a hate that they'd been kind of used to. Because in the hours after the shooting, rumors and false reports about what motivated the shooter began circulating. And one of those rumors was that there had been a brisk ceremony at Tree of Life Synagogue for a set of twins adopted by a gay couple.
3: And I think our first reaction was like, "Who are those guys?"
0: Oh my <laughs> gosh, we were having a baby named It
3: <laughs> It's like this is Pittsburgh, and everybody knows everybody else. Like, who are those other two guys yeah. that have two <laughs> adopted right. twins? We should meet
0: them. <laughs> yeah, I was like, their kids are the same age. Well,
3: it's crazy. The yeah. in the future yeah. here. I was like, this is nuts. This whole thing yeah. is nuts. But they're fine. We're fine. Like six months from now, we'll still figure out who they were. Um, and then they didn't exist. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, they they didn't exist. It turns out. That rumor and those men in the rumor were just an alternate version of Adam and Matthew. And that rumor spread quickly online. It persisted for weeks, even after it was proven clearly untrue. A white nationalist who was arrested on weapons charges in Washington, D.C. about two weeks later said that the shooting was a quote-unquote dry run and was justified because, quoting here, A homosexual couple was having an adopted baby circumcised that week. An ultra-Orthodox rabbi in New Jersey told his followers not to attend a vigil for victims. I'm not sorry for the disaster, he told them. You attend a bris of two men, and you wonder why there was a massacre? I mean, there's a lot, to that, and it's upsetting for a lot of reasons. And it was upsetting to Matthew and Adam, even though Matthew had sort of tried to downplay it to us, because even though the details were wrong, the message was that this atrocity happened to the Jewish community because of gay people. It's your fault. I
3: mean, that, like, I think watching that narrative unfold was really and continues to be really uncomfortable because it's no one's freaking business and also like kids like it doesn't have anything to do it's just kids like you know it's the baby naming at a bris is a celebratory event for a kid like that's not something that you call attention to It's sacred, like, literally sacred, right? And for me, like, that's her day. That's my daughter's day.
0: It was their daughter's day, just like it was Nate's day.
1: I I didn't feel like I was overshadowed. I felt like, like, I felt like I was bigger. It, like the overshadow plus me and then I was bigger I instead of that. just regular because yeah. like now instead of everyone saying oh my gosh this is such a bad thing they're saying oh this kid was so good even though there's such a bad thing so it's over like the bad thing
0: just like it was the day of the shooting
3: and that is like again quite literally like holy <laughs> like that is the exact moment and time that she got to join the community. And that's heavy. I mean, I I like, I can't even process that. (laughs) Like, of all days, to have somebody be able to join a community when that happened.
6: I didn't know any of the people that had passed away except for one guy, but I didn't know him very well. And he happened to come to our synagogue a few times in the afternoon to help pray, and I asked someone who is this, a little little small guy with hearing aids, 85, 90-year-old guy, And and I asked somebody once, who is this guy? They said, oh, that's Mel Wax. He lives around the corner, whatever, if you ever need him. Well, we did once because it was getting dark and you had to have, say this prayer before it gets dark. And I called him up and he came and I was kind of pacing back and forth and he came and he helped us out. And it was just, (laughs) it was very interesting that he was leading services at his synagogue when he, passed away. And at that exact same time, our son, okay, was leading services at our synagogue. Now what's interesting is that at age 13 at your bar mitzvah, you get counted for this quorum that I'm talking about. So as one person literally is leaving the quorum because they're passing away, another individual at the exact same time saying the exact same thing in a different synagogue a mile away is entering the quorum.
0: Truly, when Rob was telling that story, I had goosebumps on my arms. And then when we got back into the car, I wrote in my journal about it. And I still think about it. Nate's mom, Shelly, when we were talking, said that Nate does now have the topic for his college application essay. And I had been thinking the same thing while I was listening to him talk. This is one of those huge events that will be a part of you forever. Matthew and Adam also know that their daughters are going to have to reckon with this big thing someday. Maybe it will be the topic for their college application essays too, but for the time being, Matthew and Adam are feeling heard and supported by a wider community, way outside of Squirrel Hill, way outside of Pittsburgh, a community that they haven't always felt had their backs.
3: You know, most of how I've gone through life is the fear that um, something bad is going to happen because I'm gay and I'm going to get beat up. There were definitely, like, instances when I was growing up and going through school that there were, like, bullies, And that there were bullies that were, like, threatening physical violence. And there were times, um, that I was able to stand up for myself. But I think that the, um, the most meaningful thing that happened was when my friends stood up for me. And I, like, I distinctly remember an incident, like, in the hallway when I was a teenager. And, um someone who, I don't know if I would have, like, said that she was my friend. She was more of, like, an acquaintance behind the same circles, and the bully kind of, like, came up to me and started him calling and started harassing me, and she just, like, body-checked him in the hall. And he, like... (laughs) Like, she, like, ran up to him, literally body-slammed him, and, like, he just, like, skid on the ground for, like, 15 feet. And she was like, don't you ever... And that has stuck with me my entire life, as, like, the kindness that people have to stand up for people who may or may not be able to stand up for themselves. (laughs) And to see, like, an entire city doing it. (laughs) Because, you know, immediately afterwards, you're just, like, emotionally shell-shocked. And you can't really, like, you can't stand up for yourself. Like, I I couldn't even... (laughs) I didn't feel like I could stand up for my kids. (laughs) So to have, like, to have an entire city stand up for you... It's something I wouldn't have ever expected or imagined in my life. And I think for me, Pittsburgh could never do any wrong. After this, our experiences with people in Pittsburgh kind of up to this point have have always been very warm and people are just nice here and I don't think I could ever call any other place home. You know, and I didn't grow up anywhere. I grew up everywhere. <laughs> That's, that is part of being part of a military family and like to actually find a community like this. It's astounding.
0: Next week, our third and final episode in this series from Pittsburgh, we hear from people who are extending community and from people who feel like community has not been extended back to them.
1: Children are going to remember this uh, because you do. You remember, okay? and it influences how you feel
0: about other people. This has been terrible Thanks for asking. I'm Nora McInerney. Our senior producer is Hans Butow. Marcel Malikibu is our assistant producer. Hannah Meacock ross is our project manager. We need to come up with a different TBD title. Hannah does a lot of stuff. We got special help on this episode from Twyla Dang, Anna Weggel, and from Jean and Laura Lee DiLorenzo. Thank you. We are a production of American Public Media. We eat a lot of Los Lomas tacos. <laughs> Their nachos are uh, amazing. Oh, chef's kiss! <laughs> oh, two kinds of cheese.
1: Ooh.